Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Thursday, April 13th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's choosing to join us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives. As we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that page and you click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and listen to, download and read Dr. Michael Rice's book. The book is titled why is this happening to me again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using with great effect for over 18 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app. That app contains the Reality Management Worksheet, an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of those things soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they engage the active use of these tools. And secondarily, it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, you can do so by calling 563-999-3581 while we're live on the show. 
and press 1 on your phone after you've dialed in. It will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. It will let me know that you want to talk. I can turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. You can also email a comment, a question, or an answer, or a testimonial to tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n.org. And if we get a comment or a question or an answer or a testimonial from you through an email, we will discuss it on the Internet show and then, as time allows, send you notification about what day and time your question was addressed. And you can listen back to the archives to hear what comments were offered. I should mention as I do that that the archives are a wonderful resource. We've been doing this show one hour a day, five days a week for 12 years now plus, and two hours a day, five days a week for the last four. And the archives of almost every one of those shows is available. There might be a, a glitch here and there where technical difficulty prevented us from capturing the recording, but the vast majority of those shows are available in the archive and they are a powerful resource for either learning about the, the, the dynamics that underlie the power of these tools or learning how to apply these tools directly in your life. So, again, the call-in number is 563-999-3581. And if you choose to call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. How can we support you? What's on your mind? We have been doing some uh, listening to, writing, reading from the book, by Christian Sondheim that is um, a walk in the physical. And one of the essays that I wanted to share today is the fourth essay in that book. So there is um, there's a lot in that book and um, if you're listening to it on Audible, it's it's quite challenging because the rules that Amazon or the Audible people had were that he has to read verbatim everything in the book. So for all of these citations, there's well over 100 different essays. And as he's talking about anything, if he wants to reference an essay, he puts the number of the essay as a hot link in the Kindle version, and he has to then read that. So uh, for my money, the best thing to do is to zoom ahead to the actual essays and the discussion. Because if you're listening, you hear a lot of random numbers 
thrown in. So essay number four is titled, Impacting What is Real? And the essay reads, when you are impacting another person, you are impacting spirit, and spirit is real. Since spirit is real and enduring, by affecting another person's experience, you are impressing upon that which is real. You are having a real effect. This is in contrast to simply moving around the props of the physical simulation. Objects, forms, money, cars, boats, stereos, buildings. All of these things are generally speaking local and transient. What's real is spirit. What's real is what can't be seen with the five senses. What has a more lasting reality, actuality, is the substance of consciousness, is the awareness, is the spirit form. And everything that is birthed in time ends in time. That's one of the quotes from the Way of Mastery. It's over and over again saying, listen, your physical body, your form, your car, your house, all of this stuff is going away. Your ability to be aware of it is never going away. Your essence as consciousness is what's real at a fundamental level. It's not going away. So please pay attention to how backward our culture is where it's focused almost exclusively on the physical and for anyone who has a focus on the spiritual or the non-physical realm, it's usually a very cursory or secondary or tertiary level of interest. So if you want to impact what is real, impact spirit. Since spirit is real and enduring, when you impact another person, you're having a real effect. Paragraph in this essay says, the real spirit is interested in real impact. This is partly why, from the perspective of the big picture, the success of our physical lives is not determined by our physical accomplishments or possessions, but rather it's determined by how much we are able to extend love to others. Loving intention and interaction is successful in part because it furthers real change in the direction of our native state, our native state, which is unified and whole. So that change is far more powerful than it may seem on the physical surface. In fact, since the spirit is multidimensional, by impacting another person, you are always having an effect on multiple dimensions. This is important to remember, especially in a society that is obsessed with physical accomplishment, with the allocation of objects, acquisition of temporary identities. 
our society spends, we spend a huge amount of energy focusing on the transient and pursuing the substanceless distractions of possession and identity. We can remind ourselves of that distraction. We can remind ourselves of our inalienable power to make a true, lasting impact. How do we do that? We do that. We make that true, lasting impact by loving the person next to us. Wherever we are, extend love to whoever you're with. The genuine intention to love the person next to us, however we can, is all that is required to make an impact that lasts forever. The genuine intention to extend love to the person next to us, however we can do that, is all that is required to make an impact that lasts forever. And as I read that, I flash on the Pierre Pratervan, Gentle Art of Blessing. And I remember so many conversations I've had with parents, with grandparents, with friends of people who are going through a very difficult time. And the person I'm dealing with who has a loved one or a friend who's going through a difficult time often throws up their hands and says, there's nothing I can do. And if we've introduced them to the gentle art of blessing, I usually say, you know about that gentle art of blessing, and please understand that that is a lot right there in itself. This work says that creates an impact that lasts forever. And we have to clarify, this doesn't mean that instantly your life or the other person that you're sending blessings to, that everything about their life is going to instantly change and line up with how you think it ought to be. Again, listen to what's being said in this essay about how what's real is not the physical. There is a level of real that lasts and outlasts everything that is physical because everything that was birthed in time ends in time. Everything that's an energy form can be solidified into what seems to be material or mass or matter, but it will eventually go back into a different energy state. It won't stay. Right? Even the Great Pyramids, even the trees that grow, they eventually die, they eventually rot, they're eaten by bugs, they're back in the soil, they become the, the nutrients that feed the next generation of trees, etc., Everything in form is less solid, less real, in a sense, than everything at the spiritual level. And real spirit is interested in a real impact. And if you hold the genuine intention to extend love to the person next to you, that's all that's required to make an impact that lasts forever. 
The next essay, I know I've already read this, it's titled Unconditional Love to the Brink of Total Ignorance. And I'm going to go past that. You can read that if you have this book. Or, And I, I'm completely comfortable reading this book here because if you go to awalkinthephysical.com, you can read this book for free from his website. You can download it and read it for free. The next essay I want to read is titled, Individual Choice Matters. It's essay number seven, and it reads, Every day, every one of us is, quote, casting votes, close quotes. And we're doing that within the consciousness and the space of consciousness. Those votes matter. Every time one of us holds a thought or embraces an intention, both our reality and other reality systems are affected. This is about, Michael Rice hits this a lot when talking about the opening words in the book of John are, you know, the word was made, uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh. And Michael Rice says from the studies of the ancient Kaburst manuscript and the ancient Aramaic, a more direct, a more useful, a more applicable translation is in the beginning was the mind energy and the mind energy became flesh, became matter. This is the essence of what this book is trying to get us to see. Every day we choose the focus of our conscious awareness. We choose where we direct that mind energy and it has a very real impact on our reality and other reality systems. This essay goes on and says, most of us have been raised with the belief that the physical outcomes are what matter the most. And since it can seem like we have little power over those outcomes, we feel powerless. We are not powerless. In fact, even if we're not consciously aware of it, we are connected to the source of power itself. Each and every hour of each and every day. We are creators ourselves. As participants who are deeply involved in this reality experience, we've largely forgotten that. But it doesn't change the fact that you and I are actually creating our world every day, not just with our hands, but with our consciousness itself. And this is one of the things we talk about in this work, whether it's in a mind shift or support group or Dr. Michael Rice's lectures or on this internet show for 12 years, your Mind energy is a creative force, and it is always on. You do not have the ability to shut off the flow of the creative energy through you. Your mind energy is a creative force, and it is always on. It is always creating. 
you have a choice about where to direct it. And the image that came to me years ago was this, you know, unfathomably large fire hydrant at the center of the universe that's sending out through an infinite number of hoses, each conscious mind, its creative energy. And it's always on. There's no off switch on this hydrant. It's just always pumping out creative energy. Creation is creating. It's expanding. It will always expand, and, and creation will always extend and grow. And, and each and every one of us who is consciously aware is like one of those hoses that's always pouring out creative energy. Each and every one of us, having been given the ability to choose, can direct where we focus that creative energy. But we do not have a choice to cut it off. All these teachings tell us even death doesn't do that. Even ending the body doesn't end the creative flow of that energy. So you have the infinite capacity to choose where you focus this creative force, which is your conscious awareness. You have the infinite capacity to choose what you focus your mind energy on in any given moment. Another important thing to understand is wherever you focus your mind energy in any given moment will be the thing that creates your experience of life in that moment. And this means you are an infinitely powerful creator of your experience of life in every moment. We are not powerless. Even if we're not consciously aware of it, we are connected to the source of all power and it is flowing through us each and every day. We are creators ourselves and we are participants who are deeply involved in this reality experience even when we have largely forgotten that. That does not change the fact that you and I are actually creating our world every day, not just with our minds, not just with our hands, but with our consciousness itself. Your individual choice to love the person next to you, to extend the loving energy of creation that you are, to recognize it in that other person, and to stay in that focus as you speak and act to the one next to you, that really matters. Your individual choice to face your fear matters your decision to accept yourself your decision to accept responsibility for this world that we live in your decision to humbly accept the change that your own life has invited you to all of this matters you do not need to move a mountain you only need to genuinely work towards engaging your life with an intent that is more loving, more open, and more sincere. If you do that, you are changing the world. Be encouraged in that power. Be encouraged that you are having a real impact, even if you cannot see it. For every choice that you make in the quiet of your heart is heard 
And that is a power that will remain with you today, tomorrow, and every other day of your life, no matter the physical circumstances. Be encouraged in that power. Be encouraged that you are having a real impact. Our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, you can let us know, how is this landing for you? What, if anything, are you learning by applying these actual observations in your own life, by choosing in your own life a different focus of your conscious awareness? It just came to me that we have a support group tonight from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time, which I didn't mention yet. So please remember all the information you would need or you could pass this along to anybody else, that all the information they would need to join us absolutely free is available at mindshiftersacademy.org website. And there's a separate login information page for Tuesday and Thursday. And it's all through Zoom, through the Internet. So please feel free to either join us yourself or pass the information along to somebody you think might be interested. I had the pleasure and honor this morning of interviewing Laura McGowan for another uh, On Your Mind podcast interview regarding her second book. She has two books that I highly recommend to people. The first one is titled We Are the Luckiest, and I believe it was published in 2020. And the second book that was just published this year is titled Push Off From Here. And essentially, one of the big reasons that I recommend these books to people is because part of what I think her particular genius is, is that rather than just having a problem with alcohol and addiction that almost took her life, and then deciding, I have to spend the rest of my life focused on alcohol and staying away from it, Rather than doing that, she decided, I want a life that's worth living, that's enjoyable, that's rewarding, that's loving, that's expansive, that's creative. And so she has been working diligently to do just that, not endlessly focused day in and day out on staying sober and avoiding alcohol, but rather consciously working to find out what it takes to be happy, to live in a purpose, to have good relationships. And that's why I recommend that book, those books, both of them. And as I've said before, one of the biggest you know, core truths 
that is found for me in her books is the idea that in order to get healthy, to truly get healthy, each and every one of us need to wake up to, at different levels to how we have been conditioned to be deceitful to ourselves and others, to live a lie. And to end that secrecy, to be more and more deeply, fundamentally honest with ourselves is a critical prerequisite to truly being happy, living a happy, loving, respectful, connected life. One of the ways that we can be more and more honest is if we wake up to the idea that every time I'm having an experience mentally, emotionally that I do not like, I can acknowledge that the best use of that life experience in that moment is to treat it as though there's an alarm system ringing, going off within me saying, within you, Tim, there's a problem in your thought process. And turn the focus inside, regardless of what my culture would teach me, and learn to question anew everything my mind is telling me that it knows. And to be honest about the fact that I really don't know much of anything. Like the Course in Way of Mastery would have us say, I'm, I'm going to benefit if I do an exercise that has me pick up things every once in a while throughout the day and realize I don't know where this thing came from. I don't know what it's made of. I don't know who had the first idea to create a pencil or a book or whatever. And so if I'm more and more honest about how little I know, there's another way in which honesty is going to move me forward. 610? Susan? Hi. Hi. Welcome. Hi, Dr. Tim. Thanks. Um, I've been listening a lot to Christian Sundberg, and I think it's so exciting that you did that interview. I can't wait to hear it. Uh, it went it went well, I bet. Is she easy to yeah, interview? Yeah, she's uh, I mean, a delightful couldn't. person. Great. I couldn't hear you. You, you know, I, I do it. Go ahead. I was asking to you to restate what you said. I couldn't hear you. Oh, Sorry. I think about her first book in terms of my oldest grandson, who is now not only eight months sober, but loving his life, getting a lot of his life back that had disappeared before because of alcoholism. But he he would love that idea of not only focusing on staying sober, which he's doing, but he's he's got this network of people who are deeply immersed in AA <clears throat> and he is himself sponsoring a couple of people <clears throat> and realizes how much he loves it, loves doing it. So even though that won't be his career, it's going to be a big sideline throughout his life. But I think he would be really interested in the first Laura McGowan book and maybe the second one because I haven't seen the second one. What's the title of it again? You said, where do we go from here or something like that? It, it Push Off From Here. <laughs> okay, Push Off. All right. Um, there, it in, feels in, as in, if... Yeah. I was going to say, based on what you were just talking about, 
her first book is called We Are the Luckiest. I remember. And it got launched. I I still have it. And it got launched right before the pandemic hit. Mm Mm-hmm. And she recognized that for the first time ever in her experience, the AA groups in her area were closed. Mm. And she thought, oh, my gosh, what are people going to do? And so she started her own little online group meeting Mm. to try and offer an alternative to people who couldn't go out and meet at an AA group. And she called it TLC, the Luckiest Club. Uh-huh. And it grew and developed into a community, and it's still going, and it's grown, and it now is a fundamental community group for people who they've developed their own culture, their own um, so way of supporting people that's not just an AA group, and it's basically built on the same kind of principles, but it's also built on the nine statements that were the, um, I guess she calls it an epilogue in her first book, and that's the core of what the second book is. These nine statements in the second book, each chapter is a an explanation of those nine statements. Oh, boy, sounds great. So, so, so you're... you're grandson I think you were talking about might be interested to check out the luckiest club dot com. Yeah, he might. Or, or we are the dot com. Yeah. Oh, are they two separate ones? Yeah, I guess they are because one is her own website, right? Well, I'm just giving you both because you can probably find information through one or the other. Yeah. Great. One of the things I love about Sunberg is not only does he say um, allow, notice and allow all of your experiences, even particularly for me, the negative ones, but the fact that he says at one point during an interview, he said some of the beings who don't have bodies consider people spirits or souls who are willing to come to this planet to take part in being physical are considered superheroes because they're heading into challenges that many of them don't want to take on, so they don't do this. So that's always good to think, whoa, I'm here to endure and notice, and this is is all good. It's as if he's giving a layer of legitimacy and value to the harder things in life that come along. I I feel exactly the same way, and it resonates almost identically with what Abraham Hicks would say whenever they say, you here in physical form are at the leading edge of creation. Doesn't that make you feel good? (laughs) Nothing outside of me makes me feel good. Oh, yes. But that does help. But yes. well, I, it feels very different to me to use yeah. that filter for looking at and trying to understand this life experience than it does to look at any other 
filter or belief system or template that I've been exposed to from the, the various religions and political groups. Mm-hmm. Totally. It is. It and is. Since, and, and, and since we're all just making this stuff up as we go, floating around in this little blue marble in space, why not make up something that makes you feel better or, or helps you feel better? Right. Well, when you say we're making it up, of course, that's like, uh-oh. But I still say it is truth. I feel the truth of it somehow. Maybe I'm making it up, but it's something that I feel a lot stronger and more centered. Well, but, but feeling the of truth it. of it is, is what we would like to have you do in these teachings. Yeah. Feel the truth of it. And yet what you say about it and how you think about it is not the same as the feeling that you have. Mm-hmm. Right. So we make up the words we have for it and uh, our our so-called meaning in life, etc. And that's okay. We have to work to try and communicate to others, and that's how, what we're limited to in this realm. Mm-hmm. When we recognize that we're just making it up and that we don't have access to much of anything, like I was just saying there in the end of the intro, that the way of mastery calls us to understand that we don't really know much of anything, when we step into that divine ignorance, then we can pull ourselves up very quickly if we ever start to get into the pattern of arguing, being resentful, bitter, hurtful, because of some belief or idea, and we just step back and go, oh, wait a minute. The thing that makes me feel best is to focus on my true nature and extend that true nature not arguing about who's right or who's wrong and whose set of ideas is is stated more accurately or what's the absolute truth of how can i know what the absolute truth is i'm sitting here in a physical body i can't see x-rays or gamma rays or ultraviolet or you know it's like neil degrasse tyson would say the universe is out here trying to communicate with you and you can't hear it or see it or feel it with your five senses. There's a lot more going on here than any of us can know through our senses. And Neil deGrasse Tyson's solution to that is just get into science and apply science more. Yeah. Other people's solution to that is Meditate and ask to be shown. Go deeper into a right. spiritual practice. Focus more on love and being more loving. It's okay, right? Whether you take science or you focus on being more loving, do what feels best to you because mm-hmm. we're all making this stuff up at the level of thought. It's... Um fascinating to me that our new group member in our support group is this scientist slash spiritual seeker slash meditator. He says his central theme of his inquiries into everything is to discover the scientific nature of attention 
and as he puts it, it's psychotransformative powers. I love this guy's mind. I have to say, wait a minute, I got to think about those words. Those are awfully big for me. Oh, yeah, I can shrink them down. Oh, yeah, I can see what you're saying. And he ended up trying to meditate. And he's, here he is on the Zoom group. We have never, he's in my neighborhood, but I've never met him except on the Zoom. And I complained to him. I said, you know, this Christian Sundberg talks about meditation and various methods of meditation. He's very lenient. He even says you can do it lying down. And he stopped me and looked at me in my frame. He said, oh, no, you you can't do sitting or lying meditation. No, that won't work. And I said, what? And he said, no, you have to move. You have to walk. How about walking? I said, I'd love to do that. <laughs> he said, you can breathe and count steps. You can pay attention to your steps. You can do a lot of things, but you need to move because you're not going to get anywhere if you just try to be still because you're not going to be still, period. I thought, what kind of authority he has. But it sounded totally true. It's like these beings come around at the right minute and say a good thing that helps. So he's my helpful online Zoom person and Sunberg and um, and his book, I'm just so into it, um, is also that. And then you're now you're talking about McGowan again. Here we go around the circle again. I want to come back to her and read it too. But I'm noticing, too, that certain old challenges that I've never paid much attention to because they were too out of my understanding or too painful are coming around for another review, and I think it's because I have a little more strength. Michael Rice would say vitality. You're at a heightened stage of vitality, and I'm not sure that's true. Sometimes I feel very tired in the day after a meeting or something, and I wonder if that's just the aging process or something. But on the other hand, issues are coming up. Some of them that were issues from way back, and I'm getting another look at them. Do you have that experience too? That issues from way back are coming up. Yeah. Or the or the fatigue. Oh well. I don't know why I'm tired, but no, issues from before coming back. That's awfully vague. You can't really work with that. I can well, get I, I can work with it. it in this way, that, that I say to people, and I've talked about this before, from a variety of beginning in my graduate level work, my first year they they required us to participate as members in a communication group. They call it a communication group to make sure everybody knows this is not psychotherapy, but it basically was a therapy group. Mm-hmm. And in that group, they taught us a lot of different things and we had a lot of experiences, deep, rich experiences, because we would meet for like you know, one hour or two and a half hours one day a week for the better part of 10 months. Wow. And in that process, they told us about this concept of our core issues, C-O-R-E. Mm-hmm. And what oh, yeah. they said was, when you, dis- when you discover what your core issues are, you will take these with you to the grave. You will never be done with your core issues. The only okay. option you yeah. have is to decide, am I going to ignore them? 
am I going to pretend I'm done with them and then blame all the upset that comes up on, on somebody else, or am I going to work on them in a, in a focused manner and understand and own these issues. And if I do that third option, I get better and better and better at dealing with them. So even though they're still there and they cause some disruption in my life when they come up, they don't cause anywhere near as much disruption this year as they did 10 years ago, etc. That's exactly what I mean, yeah. And that is right. what Dr. Michael Rice talks about as your 77 times 70 worksheet issue, which means right. an infinite number of times I need to be willing to own this issue as mine and do a corrective, an internal corrective process an infinite number of times until it's complete. And it's never going to be complete because mm-hmm. I'm always expanding and growing. You know, Way of Mastery says, yeah. how can you ever be done learning about yourself if you're an infinite consciousness that's part of the infinite expansion of consciousness in the universe and you're always growing how could you ever be done learning about yourself so when i you know it's probably about eight or ten years ago on this internet show we had a lot more going on with the community and people who were calling in and doing worksheets and five worksheets a day for 40 days and all of this other stuff and people were going to the the live intensives at Heartland, and they would call the show and this and that. And we've had several different discussions during that period of time where people would say, I thought I was done with this. Yeah. And and, and what I discovered for myself was that when I have a thought, oh, I'm glad I'm done with that, I'm glad I don't have that issue, that's literally an opportunity for me to say, oh, there's a part of my mind that's trying to hide from me something yeah. that's getting close to the surface. I don't have to wait until I'm triggered to upset. I can use that thought as a sign to initiate doing worksheets on that issue. Mm-hmm. And that process was another of the pieces that took my work to the next level. Mm-hmm. Just like this last thing that happened the last time I did a worksheet live on the on the internet show here, I wasn't having all kinds of upset. But three days after an event happened, I found myself still thinking about it. So I didn't yeah. need to wait until I was upset. I just say, okay, I'm still thinking about it. There must be something there. Let me do some worksheets mm-hmm. on it. But certainly, if I have any thought that says, so glad I'm done with that issue, I'm so glad that doesn't trigger me anymore, I'm probably moving towards denial. If I'm not in active denial, and I'll be better served to make a mental note of that and that the earliest possibility do some worksheets on that very issue, even if I have to make up the thing that I think might trigger me. Because I'm not triggered, <laughs> yeah. right? I'm sitting yeah. here thinking, I'm happy, I'm I'm relaxed, I'm watching this person over here have a meltdown, and I think, oh, boy, I'm glad I don't have that issue anymore. <laughs> I can probably benefit by doing worksheets on that issue. Mm-hmm. So many because issues are 
How many what? I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. We're all the same. We're all just another noodle well, in the soup, as 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 the phrase goes <laughs> from uh, from Laura McGowan's book, right? I, I used to talk about it this way. I used to say, listen, the only significant difference between me and any person who's ever lived or ever will live, the only significant difference is the degree to which we can live in the realization that we're all the same. Mm. What kind of double speak you is that? You just answered my question. I'm asking you about... I'm asking you about the difference. What do you mean difference? That, that we're all, How could the difference, the only difference, be that we're all the same? Mm-hmm. We are all sparks of the same consciousness. We all have the same kinds of issues. We all have our own unique spin on what is the only actuality there is. But my spin on it doesn't change the actuality of it. It just changes my experience of it. My interpretation of it doesn't change the thing. It just changes my experience of the thing. In constellation work, we are invited to look at our family of origin and then their ancestors and on back. Talking about issues that are passed down from generations within our line. And I began to wonder about Christian Sundberg because he got the chance to be incarnated. And then while he was a fetus, he said, no, I'm not going to do this. I can't do this. I can't go into this deep a darkness. I'm out of here. And the baby died. And he went back to his enlightenment state. Or his body died. What? The body died. The body died, yeah, the fetus, the little baby. But he didn't die. His, but he, he said, I left quite a lot of carnage behind me. There was a disappointed mother, and many, many more people were influenced by that loss than I would have ever imagined. So, in other words, what he did was he, some generational stuff, but then he didn't have that body, and he got another body. And I'm just saying the constellation work. What you're saying is we are so much the same that one constellation is going to be like another one. It doesn't really matter whose body you pop into. There are universal issues that plague people who are on the planet, who have bodies, and are experiencing themselves as separate. Built into that feeling a conviction of separateness are some major, major issues. And they come in different colors, but they're, very common. So, yeah, you. what you just said answered my question. I was going to ask about what, what about different family lineages and stuff. But, no, you're saying we're so alike. So, basically, constellation well, one, work is like you. Un- Go ahead. One of the, one of the things that uh, came to me one time, I was coming back from a long weekend of, intensive work with the um, the neuroemotional technique, which is essentially the same kind of process as the reality management worksheet. Mm-hmm. And I had one of those full-body experiences, you know, downloads, where I, I, I had a realization, but I couldn't really put it to words. 
but I had this image. And if you've ever seen, like, the old glass Christmas ornaments, the way they were packed with a thin level layer of cardboard between them, and and the cardboard was, you know, like, so this, like, let's say there's um, 20 ornaments in a box. Yeah. And... And the cardboard is set up so it it crisscrosses and forms these twenty separate, you know, rows of four and five in each row. Yeah, but little this, this little cardboard divider mm-hmm. separating one ornament from the next. So whether it's eggs or ornaments or whatever, I got this image of that kind of a of a a network of these individual boxes. Mm-hmm. And, and and the download that came that they didn't really have any words for it, but just kind of had this image was that we all have in our unconscious, we all have exactly the same boxes with exactly the same issues in the boxes. Mm-hmm. It's like standard issue if you go into the military or whatever and they hand you, here's your socks and your belt and your shoes and your shirt. It's all the same, right? And and so mm-hmm. the download came to me and it said, we all have exactly the same issues in all the same boxes, but what's different from one person to the next is that some people have like tissue paper separating those issues from my conscious awareness. And some people have cardboard separating those issues from my conscious awareness. And some people have got steel-reinforced concrete that's three feet thick separating that wow, issue yeah. from my conscious awareness. And so wow. sometimes we go to work on an issue and because we've got we got triggered to something we say oh you should do some NET on that or you should do a worksheet on that or you should do some EFT tapping and some people do a little tapping and and that issue is not that big a thing in terms of their actual unconscious fear of it so it's like tissue paper or a little cardboard thing and they blast right through it and they get to see what's in the box and they realize oh that's just that that's just a part of something I mm-hmm. live through it does change my value and they breathe and soften and now in Christian Sundberg's work they've integrated that mm. and it's longer yeah. as upsetting but other people have you know uh, or three quarter inch plywood or steel reinforced concrete separating what's in that box in my unconscious from the other boxes in my unconscious and from my conscious awareness and it's going to take a lot of work a lot of soothing and convincing me that it's safe to see that and maybe many, many repetitions of worksheets and my 77 times 70 worksheet issue, etc. But what I'm going mm. to find out when I see everything that is in my unconscious is that it's the same issues as every other human. But I might have, you know, a little thin piece of cardboard separating me from my um sexual uh, inhibitions and hang-ups, and I might have steel-reinforced concrete separating me from my fear of abandonment issues, and and you mm-hmm. might have 
the steel-reinforced concrete separating you from your sexual inhibitions and hang-ups, and tissue paper separating you from your abandonment issues, but it's all the same. We come with the standard issue. That was the download that I got years ago. That is amazing. And probably the, the determinant is the level of fear. Some things seem so buried because exactly. they seem so terrible. Right. It's it's oh, it's my 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 level of fear is directly proportional to the thickness of the veil or the wall separating me from being able to be consciously yeah. aware of the content of my unconscious. And some issues are collectively less acceptable than others. Yes, depending so. upon what culture you're raised in. Yeah. So interesting. Well, as one woman, we have a woman who's probably 84 in our Zoom group, and she comes from a very traditional background. She's a virologist and a mediator, law mediator. Well, in the courts, she's to mediate between parties who are fighting with each other. Very bright, but hadn't been into this realm, and she doesn't speak much. But she spoke up and she said, I am so happy to be here because I realize that I don't have to stop growing just because I'm old. <laughs> she said she was learning so much. Isn't that Excellent. cool? Yes, indeed. Yeah. So fun. It reminds me of this, this one thing I had a friend for years, and we were sitting after about eight years in the friendship, sitting at lunch, and we were discussing how in, how odd it was that the range of people that each of us would call good friends was all over the map, from mm. ultra-conservative to, you know, very concrete thinking to spiritual to whatever. Um, yeah. those in relative poverty, those in relative wealth. And we were trying to figure out what is the thing that attracts us to these people when they seem to be so varied on the surface. And she and I, yeah. it was one of those magical moments where we both said at the same time, all of my friends are perpetually avid students. Oh, I love it. Love it. That's great. And so it didn't matter. You know, they didn't have to be of the same gender or the same religion or the same political views Mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. But that was what we realized was the common denominator. So I thank you for your call and questions. And we've reached the end of our time, so I will mute you so you can listen to the second hour. Blessings. And I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Jim. Appreciate it. You're welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. And today is Thursday, April the 13th, 2023. Call-in number is 563 999-3581 and press 1 and that puts you in the queue to talk to us and we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. 
and um, I well, Selinda had had her <laughs> excuse me hand up, but it's gone down. But I'm gonna turn on your microphone and just say, <coughs> excuse me, thank you, Selinda. We got your card, and uh, Aria was excited. So thank you for that. Are you there, Selinda? Maybe she stepped away. So um, while I'm waiting on Michael to dial in, I'll just remind everybody that the book club is at 3.30 Eastern time today. And Michael will be with uh, Yinka on the book club today. And so if you need, if you want to tap into that, I've actually put the link already in the notes for today. So you can click that link and join. And they've been doing a lot of worksheets with the different participants. And so I'm not sure what's on the agenda for today, but join in on that. There's people from all over the world that are participating in that book club. And so we invite you to join us at 3.30. And then uh, also this coming Saturday is the Still Point Breathing. So if you are not part of that and you want to join us, please drop me a line at Jeannie, J-E-A-N-I-E, at whyagain.org. And uh, let me know that you want to be part of that and we'll get you registered, get you signed up. So you participate Saturday. We've had an awesome group and there's been a lot of processing. You know, at first when we started doing the breathing online, we weren't sure how that was going to turn out. And it actually has been very successful and people have really made some progress with it and we just have a certain way that we need you to set up your camera so that we can see your face and your chest and your stomach so we can uh, support you as you're breathing. And then we have the support meeting on Sunday afterwards. Both of those are at 11 o'clock Eastern time. And... um, we apologize, last Saturday we ended up uh, not doing the, or last Sunday uh, of last month. We did the breathing on Saturday, but then we had to cancel uh, the support meeting on Sunday because that's when uh, my father passed away on that Saturday, and we were meeting with my brothers at the funeral home on Sunday afterwards. So we did not get to do a support meeting following that one. And so those of you who are have participated in the breath workshop, please bring your notes or anything with you that you want to uh, discuss from last month. And like I said, it was very powerful. That Saturday, I actually breathed along with the group, and that was when I tapped into just kind of mentally um, connected with Dad and told him, you know, he had struggled long enough and that, you know, he could let go. And then after the meeting was concluded, then we drove over uh, about an hour later over to the hospital. And we were there about 30 minutes, and, and Dad did pass. And we were able to be with him, and that was phenomenal. We've shared that on the show, if you weren't with us. Uh, it was fantastic just to see, you know, Dad had not been able to even roll over in bed without support. And he sat straight up in the bed and looked to the left, towards the ceiling, his eyes got super big, and he took a breath and then laid down and was gone. And we honestly believe that he got to see on the other side before he ever actually left his body. So that was fantastic to be part of that. 
and yeah, you know, we wish that he was still here. Actually, earlier today, we were talking about, we picked up some plants we're going to start putting in our garden, and one of the places that we used, that we picked up plants last year is a place called the Red Barn, and it was right below about a mile from Dad's where he was living at the assisted living, and it was kind of like, oh, well, we don't go by there now. So it was kind of different, you know, to, to stop and think about that. But, you know, So it's still a little bit surreal that Dad's not here, but we are definitely glad that we were there to participate in his ongoing. And Michael has joined us, and Michael, I announced that this afternoon is the book club, and Saturday is the breath work, and then cool. on Sunday is the support meeting for the breath work. So I'll turn awesome. it over to you. Welcome. Okay. And as you were talking about Dad, it, it is, you know, it's hard to um, think in terms of pain, it being painful for him to be gone when we were there for the, his completion. His ending was just so fabulous, you can't knock it. And, you know, we were driving back here, and there's a place we've gotten plants over there, and I was going to say, well, when we go, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's right, he's not there, he's not here. So there's, of course, that component of we've been trained to miss people and the uh, the sweetness and the sacredness of his leaving his body was just awesome to be part of. So, so yes, here we are, Mind Shifters Radio, next session. I don't know, did you tell him what we did this morning at the at Lowe's? I just said that we had picked up plants, so I didn't go into detail. Yeah. Well, we've got a bunch of plants that we're going to put in. We're not going to plant them in our full garden yet because we may still have some frost. However, we do have a closed garden that we're going to plant some things in, so we're excited about that. We've got some fairly mature tomato plants that have flowers on them already, so we're probably going to have tomatoes in a few weeks rather than having to wait for a month or two. And lettuces and all that kind of neat stuff. So that's exciting. And beyond that, we're just rock and roll. Um, excited to be able to have this conversation one more time, realizing the profoundness of being able to have this conversation with you. And each time that we advance our own understanding. Hopefully we advance the understanding of everyone else who's participating and it's just pretty profound. So glad you're here. Glad you're here for the next level of insight. I'm working an article and another piece of the puzzle came to me just last night. I was sharing with Jeannie. You know, the, uh, the next newsletter we're gonna send out is going to be a, uh, an article on becoming your own primary healthcare physician and to assist people in understanding what health really means and what needs to be done to truly advance your health rather than sit still or rather than sitting in a, a space of the disease of fear where a lot of people live around their health. They've been so uh, brainwashed with thought disorders based in fear and disease and suffering and pain and that, of course, itself is a disease. And so we're here to resolve it. And we have many, many thought disorders that we've all been fed, one of them about how 
the disease process has to do with germs and the phobia that people have around germs. And we watch uh, um, AGT fairly often in the evening. There's some great stuff that happens on there, but there's one gentleman who has this phobia that he won't shake anybody's hands. I mean, this is an adult man, probably 50, and so terrified of germs, he won't shake anybody's hands. And this germ theory has been sold to us just right down the pike. And this is a piece of understanding that's going to go into the next newsletter that comes out. So if you want a copy of it, make sure you sign up on our mailing list if you're not there. But And you've heard me explain it before, but last night as I was kind of working on some of the refinements of it, it was like a whole new way of understanding what germs have to do with disease and suffering and why you must ultimately become your own primary health care provider if you're going to be truly healthy. And that is this germ theory that keeps so many people in fear. And fear itself is a tissue-degenerating disease. That's why I think the man Yeshua 2,000 years ago, at least 15, 16, 17 times, I don't remember exactly, I, I did go count them once, but I think it was 17 times, he says, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. Why? Because fear is a disease. Fear totally shifts blood flow, takes people out of higher brain function. It takes people out of the ability to thrive, the ability to digest, the ability to eliminate, the ability to produce red blood cells, um, hormones. I mean, everything is impacted by fear. And if you think the bug is the problem, you're mistaken. Because there is no bug that's ever caused a disease. Two, two examples we'll, we'll use of that. Number one, let's imagine we build a whole new subdivision. You've maybe heard me share this before, but it fits, especially with what I'm going to share in a minute. So we build a whole new subdivision with 10,000 homes in it. And there is one house right in the middle of the subdivision that has a cat. Now, 10,000 homes surround this one cat, one house. Are cats contagious? Can you catch cats from your neighbor? Well, obviously, if that cat has kittens, that cat and her kittens are not going to the neighbor's house unless the neighbor puts out milk. If you feed them, they will come. So let's imagine this cat has kittens and she has 10 of them, and all of a sudden, what are they doing? They're roaming around the neighborhood, and they find houses with a bowl of milk in front of them. And somebody who doesn't understand that principle, if you feed them, they will come, says, well, you know, there was only one house in that subdivision that had cats in it, and now there are 20 neighbors that have cats. And come back a year later, and there are 200 neighbors that have cats. And you say, I guess these neighbors just caught cats from their neighbors. Well, you know what? Not one house in that 10,000 home subdivision has got a cat that hasn't been putting food out for the cat. So we've been convinced to think of the germ theory of disease as being causative. In fact, I was listening to someone, a video on YouTube recently, a physician, and they're exposing some of the disease insanity, but their basic principle was germs cause disease. And 
Albert Einstein gives us a really powerful piece of information. He says, the theory you have about a thing determines what you can observe. If your theory is in error, then the things you observe will be perceptual constructs of your mind that are also in error. But you'll believe them because you see them. So nobody's ever caught a cat from their neighbor, but if they put out food and the cat's around, then the cat's going to come visit. When food is taken away, the cat will disappear. If you don't keep feeding it, it's not coming around. Well, it's no different with a germ. If there is, you know, germs are what we call reducing organisms. If there are cells that are in a diseased state, reducer organisms are designed to come and devour the diseased cell so that it protects the rest of the structure. But if you believe in the germ theory of disease, you think that germs cause disease because every time you see disease, there are germs there. (laughs) But the reverse is true. The disease is there before the germ. Pardon me, before the germ multiplies. It is only if the cell goes into a disease state. What causes a disease state in the cell? Hate, fear, rage, guilt, grief, drama, and trauma. Sin. Remember now, the archery term, we're not talking about the Greek idea of sin. Remember the archery term, sin. If you were on the archery range and firing at the bullseye, and you miss the bullseye, the scorekeeper would yell, sin. That's all the word means. If you're off the mark, you didn't hit the target. Pardon me, not you didn't hit the target. That's actually a different word. But you didn't hit the bullseye. That's sin, off the mark. Now, if you recognize, if you hold a newborn, you'll check out the energy of the newborn, and you will know absolutely without question that the human, human life is love. And this physiological device is designed to house love. That's all. It's designed for the expression, for the facilitation of bringing love into expression in the world. That's all human life, the human form is designed for. And then go create from there. Go, and as the ancient scripture says, replenish the face of the earth. In other words, bring it to completion as a human being. But if the human being's lost in a mind that's filled with rage and generational patterns, cultural patterns, family patterns of greed, rage and grief and guilt and pain and drama and trauma, then there is a self within the mind, a picture generated by the mind out of those thought disorders that we tend to think we are. You've got to get rid of that guy. Yeshua said it very clearly 2,000 years ago. In order for you, being love, to live in your form designed for the expression of love, you non-being, self-based in thought disorders, false image in your mind, have to die. You have to get rid of that. Forgiveness is how you get rid of that. So if you believe in the germ theory of disease, then the tendency is to live in fear of disease, in fear of germs, and that itself is the disease. So subtle, so tricky. Now let's take it another step. We've got two more steps to go to get the complete picture. Let's imagine that I have a one-acre yard out in front of my house. Beautiful, nice green lawn all the way through. And let's imagine, actually, let's get rid of the lawn. I'm going to invite everybody to consider to start getting rid of your lawn because a lawn is a useless waste of water and energy and the ability to grow things that benefit humans and other species in the world. 
get rid of your lawn. We're starting. We just roped off or closed off an area about 100 feet by 25 feet, and we're putting in a, a garden. Once we get past frost date, we're putting in a garden for indigenous plants or of indigenous plants for pollinators. We're in a crisis point on the planet, maybe even more of a crisis than the whole global warming situation or scenario. And we've got this useless thing called a green lawn, like, well, we've been taught, we've been brainwashed with it, it's pretty, but I'll tell you what, a field of wildflowers with pollinators in it, rather than something that doesn't feed or support any kind of life at all, except grubs and worms, or worms and, uh, and um, bugs, get rid of that. So let's imagine we've got this one-acre field of indigenous plants, beautiful wildflowers. And I'm going to rope off, way off on one corner of it, I'm going to rope off a square foot. And then I'm going to come back to the closest corner of the house and I'm going to rope off a square foot. And I'm going to get out my microscope and I'm going to go, and I'm going to count every bug, every flea, every fly, every critter on this square foot, and I'm going to compare it to the number of critters, pests, the world calls them, the other square foot, the other corner, the far side of the acre. Is there going to be much different in the count, how bugs, buzzards, you know, flying buzzards around or what have you? Probably not. It's probably going to be pretty similar. However, and this is about the germ theory of disease, however, if I take a dead rabbit and I put it on this corner or that corner, and I leave it for a couple of days, and let's imagine its body temperature is 98.6 degrees outside. I come back, let's say, five days later after placing the dead rabbit on one of those roped-off square feet. One of those square foot spaces is going to be loaded with fleas and flies and bugs and buzzards, and the other one is not going to have changed at all. Now, reliably, with absolute 100% certainty and accuracy, which square foot is going to have the elevated count of bugs and buzzards? I promise you, it's going to be the square foot with the dead rabbit, where tissue is decaying, the, the, the food supply is there, and if you feed them, they will come. Now, it's the same inside the body as outside the body. If you feed hate and fear and rage and guilt and grief, great grief and pain, disease, physical disease isn't the problem. It's the energetic patterns, the sin, the energies that are off the mark that we put in tissue that causes it to begin to deteriorate. Now, Let's imagine I get a good, strong poison spray, and I go spray that square foot to get rid of all those bugs and buzzards and crazy things. Well, one, all my pollinators are gone. The plants, which are the life coming out of the soil, are probably going to die on that square foot if I spray it really well. And now what I'm going to have is I'm going to have a barren square foot over here where I took care of all those enemy bugs and buzzards, and I'm going to have the same thing happening on the other square foot as I had before I started. There are going to be plants. There are going to be pollinators. There are going to be things being fed and taken care of off of 
the one square foot, but the one I sprayed, so everything that was causing the problem, the way we think of the germs theory, everything that was causing the problem, we killed it. But what did we do? We also killed the host, the square foot of what was soil is now dirt. It's dead, it's barren, and it'll have trouble growing anything unless you load it with chemicals. And then when you load it with chemicals, you're going to have to keep spraying it because the plants that you put in the ground in that square foot, which if you give them enough chemicals, they will grow and they will look like plants. They won't really be plants, but they'll look like it. They're going to be weak. They're going to be frail. And there's going to be very little food value in them because life comes from life. If you spray that square foot until everything in it is dead and you put a plant in it and you expect to get life out of that death, out of dirt, as opposed to if it's soil, it's got life in it and it transfers life to the plant, you don't need a bunch of chemicals. You don't need more sprays to protect it from bugs coming. Only the weakened plants attract the bugs and the buzzards. Then let's go to the next piece of the story, and this is the piece that I just got last night. Both of those I've shared with you before. But do you believe the the rain theory of flooding? The rain theory of flooding would say if there's rain, if there's a flood, you got rain, and the flooding is a result of the rain. Well, that's just about as silly as the germ theory. Because, well, here we are in Bristol, Virginia. We get rain all the time, but there's no flooding here. So rain doesn't cause flooding. However, let's say that we have nothing on the soil, and when the rain comes, the rain washes out all the topsoil, which I forget exactly what the numbers are, but if you've got a, a, a soil bed, again, I'm not sure about the numbers, but they're pretty extreme. If you've got an acre of land that has live soil in it that's really, truly vital and alive, that acre will store, and again, my numbers might be off, but it's just it's similar to this, that acre will store approximately 10,000 gallons of rain. If you've got dirt, like the commercial farmer that sprayed everything to kill it and harvested the plant and then left the dirt sitting there. When the rain falls on that dirt, it's going to wash away the topsoil. There's going to be no soil left. There's only going to be dirt. And now you've got the conditions for flooding. If the terrain is right, it can rain all at once. You know, you go to the middle of the ocean and you can rain, you know, the most profound thunderstorms you've ever seen for weeks and nothing floods. If you have a plot of land that is properly tended to rather than chemically murdered so that it doesn't do its job, then the terrain is destroyed and not that there is not a flood there because it rained. There's a flood there because the terrain could not handle the rain. It had been destroyed. So to believe in the rain theory of flooding is about as ridiculous as believing in the germ theory of disease. 
I actually had a conversation with a physician just today about that very thing. And he bristled at the thought that you don't need drugs to keep tissue healthy. I mean, he literally physically bristled as I talked about, you know, well, if you use an antibiotic, you kill, it's anti-life, you kill the life. And now that the life has been killed, you better get some life back there to take care of the tissue, which is the terrain, the soil, so that it functions properly. He was just like, well, you need to have those drugs. It's like, okay, I got it. You believe in the germ theory of disease. Throw that silly-ass theory out of your mind, or you can never be your own primary health care provider. Are germs involved in disease? Absolutely. Where there's disease, there are quote-unquote germs. Is rain involved in flooding? Absolutely. Where there's flooding, there's going to be rain. Sure, or snow, or similar. But the germ is no more the cause of the disease than the rain is the cause of the flood. And when you understand that, then you know that if you've got a flooding problem on your land, you've got to do something to take care of the terrain so that the terrain can handle the water that comes down there. And rare will be the flooding circumstance, not saying it's impossible, but rare will be the flooding circumstance where the soil and the terrain is properly cared for, is as it was designed to be. Rare is the disease process in tissue where the terrain, the tissue, has the microorganisms that it needs, just like the soil has the microorganisms that it needs. If you put an anti-bio, bio means life, antibiotic. You know, it's interesting, when I first met Jeannie, Jeannie worked for a pharmaceutical company that manufactured antibiotics right here in Bristol. She worked for them for several years. And fortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, the, it, it's sad that they decided they could go to a third world country to manufacture their product and do better with it. So they basically got rid of their manufacturing facility here. It was right timing for us because we were talking about going on the road and Jeannie got a retirement package by going early so others could keep working. But when it came time for them to deal with that facility, they had a beautiful building. I don't know, how many square feet was that, honey? A couple hundred thousand? I don't even remember what it was. Beautiful piece of property, beautiful building. And they tried to get another anti-bio company to take it over because that's the only business they could put in it because the building was so toxic, so deadly for humans. And interestingly, they put out, when they couldn't get another company to come in, they put out a report. And the report said that in order to sell the building to anything other than an antibiotic manufacturing company, they had to, quote, level the building to the grassy knoll. That means even the concrete pad it was built on had to be removed in order to sell the property. That's how poisonous it was. Now, does that mean never use an antibiotic? No. I've had a few rounds of antibiotics over the years, in the recent years, with some challenges with teeth. Yep. 
I didn't know any better. My parents didn't know any better, and I thought candy was just a fine thing and Coca-Cola and all that garbage for years. Didn't know any better. I look, I think about that now, and like you couldn't force one of those things in my mouth now. But I didn't know any better. So I have utilized an antibiotic, but when I'm complete with that antibiotic, the next thing I do is pump my body full of probiotics, replace the microorganisms that are designed for the soil so that the soil lives rather than slaughter it with an antibiotic and, and watch what happens because the person who starts on antibiotic one, it won't be many months before they'll have a new set of symptoms and they'll need another drug. And then it won't be very long before there'll be another set of symptoms and they'll need another drug. Now they're on their third drug, which interacts with the previous two, which are just going berserk within the system. I was talking to, as I say, a physician and one of his assistants last week. And I was doing a consult with them. And when they said, how many drugs are you on? And I said, none. They looked at me like I must have been from Mars. And the lady said, oh, we have people that come in here with pages of drugs that they take. Literally, they've got them printed out, pages of them. If you think Korean can be healthy with that, think again. And sadly, we live in a culture that by their own figures, the AMA admits that somewhere between 250,000 and 500,000 people are killed every year by treatment, by medical treatment. And we're something like, we spend, uh, again, I don't remember exactly the numbers, but we spend like at least 100% more than any country in the world on what's called health care, but is really disease care. And we're something like number 49 in the world. Number 49 in developed nations. America is number 49 with health outcomes and preventable disease. Guess what country is number one? Japan with health outcomes. Guess where Japan comes in with how much they spend on health care? Of all of the developed nations in the world, Japan spends less on health care than any nation in the world, and they're number one in health outcomes. America spends far more on disease care, calling it health care. And again, my numbers might be off, something like number 49. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If anybody looks at that and says, what's the steal here? If they actually can comprehend that, who are you going to go to for your health advice? You better have enough knowledge to be your own primary. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, if there's a specialist and there's something you know that you need, go get that specialist. The technology, what people in that field are doing is absolutely phenomenal. Amazing. You know, we talk to people all the time that have had joint. I mean, you think about it. Somebody had their hip. They cut the leg. They cut the hip out out of the sacrum, and they put a new one in. And, man, this person's rocking just a few weeks later. That's just amazing. But you got to know when you need that. We actually have a friend who was having such hip pain that he was considering that. This goes back about probably a year and a half ago now. 
And I told him about the Avison. He got an Avison. And within a week, a week and a half, his hip pain was gone. And he had a trip. He travels quite a bit in his business. And so he had a flying trip, and he flew out to do whatever it was he was doing. It was only going to be a couple of days. And he didn't take the machine with him. And he's like, I'm right back with my hip pain. I will never go anywhere without that machine now. If I'm flying somewhere for one night, it goes with me. Healthcare. What does it take to support health within this structure? Fighting disease is not healthcare. So I'm putting that out just because that's what's on my plate right now in the form of writing. And we hope to get that out to you soon. I'm not sure how long it's going to take to complete it. It's a, a pretty big task, but we're working on it. And if that arouses any questions for you, comments, thoughts, do, do you have beliefs? Did anything that I just said not make sense? Then I would love it if you push one and tell me what it is that doesn't make sense. So I can look and say, gee, you're on. I, I need to know more about that. Or I can explain to you why and how this fits and makes sense. There is we a... Do have a hand. Well, let's say hello to the hand. Okay. Before, hello, hand. Before we do, I was, Go I was ahead, just going to add... You know, when I worked at the pharmaceutical company, uh, it was also, like, I worked at the office but and right. not down in the plant, but I could tell by the smell that was coming through our air conditioner which of the antibiotics they were running. And um, so, it you know, it circulated even into our office because we shared air conditioners. But our printing department had to be in a separate building because some of the labels that the... Um, that they printed were for other products that were manufactured at other sites that were not antibiotics, and they could not print the labels in the building, and they possibly get contaminated with penicillin. And you know, then somebody buy that product, and if they're allergic to penicillin, then you know, just picking up the bottle. Yeah. Yep. And also, which they didn't enforce this, but we, when we were hired there, we had to sign that we understood. That like if we set up our desk with, say, pictures of our family and, you know, brought our purses in from the car and things like that, that they had the right to say, you can't take it home. So, yeah, and, if you left, and if when you they, left bought, they could take your personal yeah, belongings say, and your desk and such and, nope, too dangerous. Yep. And they also, you know, when we did go down to the plant, we had to put on hairnets and jackets and and booties over our shoes and everything else just to walk into the plant and then we had to take those back off before we went into our office and so you know they they had some very strenuous guidelines that we had to because they knew you know and there are so many people that are allergic to antibiotics they couldn't take the chance that you know, one of your spouse or your children or you know somebody at your home would be allergic to it and they could be held liable if you carried it home yeah. on your clothing or whatever. Yeah, my input would be that nobody in the world is allergic to antibiotics. That's that's a misnomer. They've told us a story. No. What it is, that people, there are people who are sensitive to the poison. Everybody that takes one is being poisoned. They're sensitive to the poison to the point where it's life-threatening. That's what they call an allergy. So everybody has that. It's just that some people can tolerate it and deal with it, and some people can't. 
And so, and if I remember correctly, I believe the people who actually worked in the plant in order to go out for lunch or, or in order to go home, they had to change clothes. They had to shower and change clothes. Am I remembering that correctly? That's correct. And then when they got back, they had to put a new uniform on. Yeah. So, so you work your work day. You can't go home until you've taken off all of your clothes, shoes, socks, showered, and put clean stuff on to go out the door. And, you know, why do we have the worst health outcomes in the world, in America? You know, they've they've predicted, and it's interesting, how the, the theory you have about a thing determines what you observed. You can observe your, that your mind is even capable of producing. It's interesting that there are people in that field who study the toxic effects and the antibiotic-resistant bugs that develop. And what they're telling us, the experts in that arena who have done the research, say that you know, the number one killer in the world today, or in the country, I'm not sure where this extends to the world or it's just America, but the number one killer is heart disease, cancer, number one, number two. And they're predicting that by 2050, so 25, 30 years down the road, they're predicting that the number one killer will be antibiotic-resistant bugs. They kill hundreds of thousands of people every year. That is, you know, you take the the drug and 99% of the bacteria that that bug's going after are killed and 1% pops its head up stronger. You know, you've heard that saying, if it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger. Well, that's the superbug by 2050. And, and guess what the, the antibiotic researchers, the pharmaceutical companies are saying we have to do in order to solve that problem? They're saying we have to de- de- develop stronger antibiotics to kill those things. And the stronger antibiotic means you get a stronger bug that survives, and then you need, it's a downward deadly cycle. That's why by 2050, you know, antibiotics, they call them miracles, and oh, how many lives? Yes, they've saved millions of lives, and guess what? The piper is being paid. The antibiotic-resistant bugs that are developing are developing because these things are poisons, and when they learn the bug learns to survive the poison, then they become that more virulent if somebody's got a food supply for them and they land in that person's energy field, that person's body. And so... That thinking is we need stronger. My offering is we need to do the reverse. We need to stop using these things. Yes, there are places. There's no question they can save lives. Just awesome. However, they can't heal a life. They save lives. Yep. The, the terrain is so weak that the bug grows, 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 grows. Oh, big trouble. Knock them out. Yes, when you poison the terrain and you poison the bugs, most of the bugs die. The symptoms of that go away. The terrain is weakened to another level, and another round of superbugs develop. We need to cut back the use of those things to where, yes, they are beneficial in that they can save lives and only be used in the most dire cases where a life needs to be saved. However, however, and this is shocking, and people need to wake up and they need to speak up, 70%, in case you didn't get that number, 70% 
of antibiotics used in America today are used on farms and have no medicinal purpose whatsoever. Guess what happens when you feed farm animals antibiotics? Their bodies go into such a defensive posture that they blow up like ticks. Guess what? If you've got a 100-pound cow, tick, you can get, you know, whatever, 80 cents a pound. But if you can get that puppy to blow up just as fast and produce a 200-pound tick on the same amount of food, a 200-pound cow on the same amount of food in the same amount of time, you get twice as much profit. 70% of antibiotics used in America today are used on farms to grow animals. That's one of the reasons why I would offer, if you start looking, just about every pandemic that's, you know, we've gotten pretty familiar with pandemics recently. Every pandemic that comes down the pike has to do with animals. It's like you want to be your own health care provider? You've got to understand this stuff. It's just like crazy, but it's a multi-trillion dollar business. So just some things to be aware of. And so let's say hello to whoever's calling. Hi, I believe it's Miss Susan 610. You're on the air. Welcome, young lady. Hey, I didn't press one, but I'm very happy to talk to you, and I do have a question. So you sure you've awesome. got the right go number one on there, Jeannie? <laughs> Somebody else might say it again. one. No, it shows oh, okay. your hand up. Oh, okay. Well, it well, it must just intuitively know, Susan. It just oh, okay. knows you have something mm. to say. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe it's just a habit <laughs> of the machine. Oh, here's Susan. Let's put her hand up. <laughs> okay. We love it when you who, put your hand who? up. You always have great questions. Oh, well, we'll see this time. So um, we a while back we had our a sort of resurgence of COVID in our church, and some of us began wearing masks. And is that stupid because the germ theory isn't applicable, or is that a different thing? No, I think it's uh, it's sanity. Now, you know, there's a statement in the scriptures where it says, do not tempt the Lord thy God. You know, okay. I would say, you know, I mean, there are actually, if you do some historical research in the antibiotic field, there are physicians who went against it and said, that's crazy. And I couldn't recount any of the specifics of it this moment. But if you do some research, you'll find it. Let's say it was um, smallpox. So mm-hmm. what this researcher said, the bug is not the problem, has done, is gone and taken a concentrated dose of that bug and experience no traumatic side effects, no disease process, because they had enough confidence in the in the strength and the power of their terrain. They were healthy. They didn't have the gay tissue, so the bugs went into their bodies, but there was nothing to feed on them, so they were eliminated. Mm-hmm. So for me, could I say, oh, well, now I've, you know, I mean, I've, I've had COVID twice. It was a wonderful health upgrade. Now, I could go out and say, well, I, I've had it twice, and both times I got healing in things that were a challenge to my body. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to talk to you. I'm find something with COVID and get a cough in my face. No, I'm not going to tempt. I, no, thank you. I'll yeah. pass. If I know that COVID's running rampant, I wear a mask. And I think that's only sane because I know that my tissue structure is imperfect. I know that my thinking is imperfect. And so I'm going to take reasonable precautions. I'm not going to run mm-hmm. out and bathe myself in bugs to see how well I'm doing. So that would be my take. I would say everyone, it's reasonable caution. If it's out there, you protect yourself. You take reasonable precautions, and you look at what it takes to keep your tissue structure strong and vital, and you do that as well. You make sure that you've got enough zinc, elemental zinc in your structure. Make sure you've got enough D3. You've got enough vitamin C. You've got the things that strengthen the tissue structure to fight off the critter if it comes in, that you've got a strong immune system. But... Mm-hmm. I think it's silliness. I mean, if, if we look, you know, there's a certain percentage of the population or a certain um, political group of the population that's going masks, COVID, blah, blah, blah. And if you look, statistically, they're the people who are dying of COVID who say, oh, masking, that's a silly no, masking isn't silly. There's some good research. Now, there's some lousy research, and unfortunately, in that community, that lousy research has gone around. People have gone, look, this doctor said masks are useless, and, and, and oh, it reduces your oxygen level. Well, okay, there, there is somebody out there saying that, but then again, here's a university that did research, and this, the surgeons that use masks uh, you know, have been doing them for years to protect themselves from organisms that don't belong in their structure, whether they'd create disease in them or not. Uh, some of these people have, have triple masked themselves and literally measured their oxygen levels and it hasn't harmed them. But there is a story yeah. out there and some people are believing it. And literally, if you look by the state and the color of the state, they're the people that are dying. Yeah. I read that too. So that would be my take, wear a mask. Absolutely. <laughs> Right. Okay. And the other thing is, closely related, as I said last week, I had a big tooth removed, and I've had a pacer put, pacemaker put in years ago, and the battery was just changed. And the dentist said, all right, I don't want to do this. This is a very enlightened dentist. I don't want to do this, but I'm going to give you an antibiotic. Yep. And I want Wise. you to take probiotics. I want you to counter that, but you I just want to play it safe. So I took my antibiotics. Yep. I saw the viewer, and I took them. But, uh, and I'm fine. <laughs> but anyway, sometimes we just have to do the lesser of two evils if that's what it is. Absolutely. I mean, nowhere, that's why we need to be our own primary health care provider, know enough to know what I need and what I don't need. And a lot of yeah. heart attacks, quote unquote, cancel the heart attack thought, a lot of heart attacks are directly related to tooth infections. Yeah. And bleeding gums and infectious agents that get in there and then get to the heart and create problems. So right. there's there's a direct relationship, and so I'd say you had a really awesome dentist who said, you know, this isn't what I'd rather do, but we need to be safe, and, and that's true. And then that this guy who prescribed the anti-bio also said, now you yeah. need to take the pro-bio. You need to replace what we just killed in order to protect yeah. it. That's perfect wisdom to me. Oh, good. Yeah, and he said vitamin C. He said, you know, drink a lot of water. Anyway... Yeah. Elemental yeah. zinc, okay. D3, all of those things keep the uh, the immune system going. Uh, elderberry. Oh, yeah. 
quercetin. And so that leads There's me several things. now that you're in, you're you're in your your um, nature of path uh, mode, and right. since you're there, um, now I think I forgot my question. <laughs> oh, good old brain. Well, I can't oh, remember okay. my question. So, so then, if we're looking at the strength of tissue versus the virility mm-hmm. of the bug that comes in, it's it's finding the balance. It's keeping the tissue at mm-hmm. a strength level where something does come in that that doesn't belong. Or, you know, a lot of the bacteria and such that people are afraid of or that are related to disease are already all within our body, but they're kept in check and balanced, and they're necessary there. If they weren't there and a certain part of the tissue structure starts to deteriorate, the long-term impact of that deterioration, which means putrefaction, literally, you know, you take a piece of meat and you lay it on the counter, come back in three or four days and take a sniff. No, not very nice. If that's happening in Mm -hmm. the body, then those reducer organisms are designed and they're in the body already and if it goes out of balance that when the reducer organism expands and creates quote unquote infection or becomes what we call an infection that's a signal that I need to do something to strengthen the tissue structure of my body and to uh, bring that back into balance I don't need to get rid of those things they're a necessary normal natural part of the process but they need to be in balance. And if I get an infection, I'm signaling myself that something's out of balance in how I'm thinking, how I'm exercising, how I'm eating, how I'm eliminating, mm-hmm. how I'm chewing, how much fluid I allow or I bring into my structure. All of those things are part and parcel of how you maintain a healthy tissue structure and, uh, and keep the organisms that are designed to be there in balance. Does that so Michael, ring the, you, the the brain cells you were looking for? Yeah, and you would say then, I imagine you would say, if you're eating clean, organic vegetables grown out of real soil, you shouldn't need vitamins or a multivitamin or anything. And I have, I, it's funny, when the doctor asked me, are you taking any medications? And I say, I'm taking a ton of supplements, but I don't take medicines except actually I just started one a statin drug because of cholesterol and it's that high but he said I'm older and I'm in I ought to have this for a year I avoided obeying him but now I'm taking this small statin thing but I wasn't originally asking you about that I was asking you about um multivitamins do you take them do you recommend them are they dumb what I, I don't take a multi, but I do use vitamins, and I mm-hmm. take specific ones that, you know, we, we're eating more and more out of our own garden, but it's pretty much impossible to buy everything we'd want to buy organic. And when you realize right. that as far back as the 1930s, they were informing Congress that the soils in America were devoid of minerals, uh, mm-hmm. then we do uh, take supplements for sure. Yeah. And th- for me, that's like a prophylactic. It's it's a safety factor that if I'm not getting yeah. enough of what I need well, or if I'm under right. an excess stress, the food I'm eating may not be enough to provide what's there. So, yes, I do supplementation. 
And I, and I think that a reasonable amount of supplementation. Go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted. You said something the other day about eating some forbidden fruit, <laughs> some some sweets. Oh, no, we wouldn't ever. Decided, no, well, we never, I'm ever, ever do that. Don't accuse us of that now, young lady. <laughs> I'm sorry. Less I was talking it. while you were talking, so I didn't hear a thing. I know. I was just objecting to your accusations. <laughs> no, no. I was. I had something to say, so shut up for a second. I just want to say... <laughs> that I love that you blessed the food because in a way you were strengthening your body to receive the food and not be subject to anything that might not be so good in the food. I mean, that's a serious thing to bless the food. Very serious. And I think that especially something that, you know, is more toxic than, like we went out for dinner the other night in the restaurant we went to serves this awesome key lime pie that's just loaded with sugar. So, so yes, a a focused blessing. And I think that, you know, when you realize that we're creators and the energies that we create with impact Mm -hmm. what we put in our mouths before they go there, I think that we can literally change the structure to a degree. And as you say, by strengthening the tissue structure also reinforced. So, yeah, if you're going it, to, it's a whole lot, the more disease is caused by disintegrative thinking than is caused by yeah. disintegrative substances, I think. I and so rather than, oh, this is sugar, it's bad, it's terrible, but I'm going to eat it anyway. It's, oh, yeah, it's sugar. Yeah. I'm going to bless it. I'm going to just enjoy it. Mm. Yeah. Love it. Unfortunately, I was brought up as a kid. I think we both missed what we said. Would you say again? Yeah. I was just saying I was brought up as a kid with those tastes that are still, you know, kind of near and dear. And every once in a while I engage and bless it and love it. The gentle art of blessing. All right. All right. Well, that's... That's that's good. Thanks. Thanks for the You're welcome. Um, the, the nutritional session. So, Sweet. Did that get you back to your question about the antibiotic thing? Oh yeah, that was fine. That was a good answer. I'm glad you you know, I do. I take them reluctantly and I don't take them uh, unless I absolutely have to, but this tooth was way back in my mouth, and the infection yeah. was right up in my sinuses, so I didn't want to fool around. So my offering would be every time you take them, bless them and enjoy them and thank them. <laughs> appreciation. Right. You know, they've done a lot of university-level research on appreciation and uh, gratitude and how it changes physiology. So, yeah, mm, every time you great. decide to do one. Thank it and love it, or be love in its presence and and receive its blessing. Okay. Okay. Sweet. You know, I think that. Well, you were you were gone yesterday. Um, that was a good session. I don't always. I, I usually don't listen to replays, but I listened to that one. It was good. <laughs> Well, we always pick our best for replays, so. Yeah, I'm sure you do, yeah. Anyway, you were off 
somewhere. I hope all, I was hoping all was well. All is rocking, yes. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. It is good. And we get to plant plants this afternoon and get the garden rocking. We actually planted blueberry bushes from the farm and went out this morning and looked before oh, yeah. the show started. And, and they're not even showing any signs of shock. They look like they're ready to go. they got buds on them already. So hold the space that uh, <laughs> if it happens, if we happen to get a freeze yet, that we catch it in time and get a cover over it so everything's safe. Yeah. Good. Well, any other thoughts for you? It looks like we're down to, you know, one or two thoughts yet, so go for it. One or two two thoughts. We're down to one or two We've got room for at least one, maybe two thoughts. Last, we have about three minutes left. Oh, I'll see if I can dredge one up. Only that, that wonderful new man on my radio show, uh, on our Zoom show, uh, we were talking about meditation, and I was saying how hard I found it to meditate and he said oh you don't have to do that he said you've got to go walk he said i can just just looking at you i would say you're basically he was saying i'm too much of a fidgeter but there was a word in hindu or hindi uh, a type of a type of um speaker body personality in a traditional way what a body personality type sort of thing well, just somebody whose energy was high or something, he said right. you'd do better walking and counting your steps or breathing to rhythm or paying attention to your steps, do that. So, so that's I, your I felt meditation. Liberated. Well, I'm starting to do it, yeah. Cool. Nice. Nice to have all Joining you. Thanks. <clears throat> In fact, we have a really nice uh, thing called... Um, Oh, dear, what is it? There's a, a, a set of... Weir Dam. What are the falls? The Weir Dam. They've got a Weir Dam where the water overflows, and it's for oxygenating for the fish and all. We've got a really nice place, and I'm thinking, Jeannie, maybe after we plant, we go out there this afternoon and walk for a while in that fresh air. It'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. We have a Weir Dam up here, too. Yeah, beautiful. Ah, pretty cool. I'd never seen one before mm. here. That's pretty cool. It's a creepy name. Yeah, I'm not sure. Where, I don't know whether it's the name of the person who designed it or what, but the fish apparently really enjoy it. There are always fishermen out there. Huh. Nice. All right, young lady. Well, we appreciate you and have a blessed day. And uh, thanks for thanks your input, you and everybody. Hey, you're most welcome. And as someone we know and love would say, deserving. <laughs> I know. Good old Tim. All right, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, thanks. Blessings, everybody. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. You know you Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.